Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets you and meets us, rather, in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. Uh, I'm the senior pastor at Stonington Baptist Church right here in Paxinus, Pennsylvania. I am so happy to be uh, joining you, uh, and I'm so happy that you are that you clicked play and that you're listening to this episode. Uh, this is a weekly show that I try and do, uh, a show that either will uh, I'll be interviewing uh, someone in the ministry or I'll just be talking and uh, talking with you and kind of sharing what's on my heart, and that's what we're doing uh, on this particular episode, just sharing some things that I've been uh, mulling over, things that I've been studying, things that I have been uh, using uh, to uh, inspire, encourage, or edify myself that I hope to, uh, furthermore, uh, inspire, encourage, and edify you. So uh, that's what I hope to do through uh, these particular episodes, and I'm so glad that I can do it. So uh, I hope you'll uh, buckle in uh, and that you'll uh, put on your, your thinking caps, as people like to say. Uh, I always used to hate that comment. I don't know why. Um, hate is probably too strong of a word. Um, but I always was just, I always snickered whenever the teacher, you know, would put on your thinking caps. Um, anyways, yeah, that's, that's free. That's extra. I, I, I always just kind of, I always chuckle when someone says that. And, and for whatever reason though, it's, it's, it must've been important because it's stuck in my head for all of these years. Um, regardless, you haven't come here for, for that. Um, I, I do want to encourage you though. Uh, and we're going to, I'm going to hopefully do that uh, by kind of just reviewing some of the things that I uh, was endeavoring to preach on this past uh, this past Sunday, uh, which I like to do, kind of work through some of the things that I was thinking through as I was preparing and studying, and then also hopefully share some things that perhaps I didn't get to share uh, when I was preaching uh, uh, this past Sunday. So, uh, <clears throat> and especially also as we look forward to uh, the Sunday to come. So uh, this past Sunday, um, still kind of in between sermon series right now, although I did announce, and this is true, that I am hoping to start a new series soon, hopefully um, in sometime in February, <laughs> either in the middle or at the end of February, I'm hoping to start a new series uh, specifically on First uh, and Second Kings. Uh, I have been really drawn to diving into the books of Old Testament history, um, and perusing the narratives that exist there and their weightiness, their importance, uh, stories that perhaps we might have been familiar with, you know, back when we were in Sunday school and, and we were learning those flannel graph lessons. Uh, but I also think that there is a greater, uh, there's, there's more importance too than, than just that there's importance, uh, even now, 
uh, for many of those events which uh, which we are told about in those chapters and in those books that have so much resonance have that, that provide so much I would say clarity uh, for who we are as human beings now who we are as sinners still and uh, but more importantly and most importantly uh, who our God is so uh, hopefully uh, soon, uh, I will be able to, uh, Lord willing, uh, start that series. I'm really excited about that. So I, I, I say that because uh, in this uh, last Sunday we were in Genesis 32. This past Sunday uh, on, on the 17th, uh, I was in Hebrews chapter 4 uh, in the Sunday morning service preaching on those last three verses, which I would say are some of the most profound verses in all of Scripture uh, Hebrews four fourteen through sixteen, where it talks about uh, it, it really is, I would say, almost the crescendo of what the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about for much of the rest of the book, which is the great high priest who is Jesus and precisely what his ministry is, what his ministry looks like, but also, as I mentioned on Sunday, precisely what the heart of this priest is like and, and and what and what drives the heart of this priest and precisely it's people who are desperate and needy um i have found so much benefit out of these verses the uh, i'm just going to read them to you i was going to reference them a lot and <laughs> i might as well just read them to you so you have them in your mind uh so this is hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 and i'll read down through the end of the chapter seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I, of course, like you perhaps, have found so much comfort and benefit out of these verses. They are verses which are rich in the gospel, full of grace, and they clearly show uh, one of the many ways in which Jesus is the the true and better, the great high priest that we have in the gospel. Um, and he's great for uh, many different reasons, as the writers of the Hebrews will show throughout his book, but it's precisely here, I think, where we get it most profoundly, is that we do have a great high priest, and it's Jesus, the Son of God, the, the second figure of the Trinity. But it's also he's, he's better and he's superior because he's a great high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. Um, this is, verse 15, I, I think, is one of the verses which, all the verses of the Bible will stand the test of time, but this is the one that I think is the most profound that it's not just that we have this ability to hold fast to our profession, as he says in verse 14, because of what this high priest has already done, because of what he's already accomplished. It is finished, Jesus cried, and the high priest sat down. Uh, I mentioned this in, in, in the sermon on Sunday, he, that the fact that he has already passed into the heavens, as it says in verse 14, is indicative of the fact that this priest's ministry is finished. He has... He has passed in the heavens. He has entered into his rest, as he's mentioned elsewhere in this chapter, um, it's all pointing to the fact that Jesus' work, his priestly ministry of the cross, is finished. Um, and it's not just because of that that we can hold fast. We can hold fast to this profession because this high priest isn't aloof. He isn't indifferent. He isn't, uh, he isn't sort of afar off, away from us. He is among us. He is one who has lived like we have lived and like we are living 
Um, he's a high priest, as it says, who cannot be touched with the feeling, or it says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was all in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He is merciful and compassionate with us in our suffering, in those moments of, of when we are grief-stricken and brought to our lowest point. We have the truth. The truth is that this high priest who has been touched likewise with what we have been touched by, he's been touched with all of the, the turmoil and torrent and, 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 and struggling and troubling seasons of life, just like we are currently. He sympathizes us yet with us even in those moments because he has likewise felt the same things. He knows what you and I are going through. We have this companion. That was one of the things that just struck such a chord with me as I was studying for this sermon. You have a companion in suffering who knows precisely what you're going through, who's been affected by the same things that we are affected by. I keep going back to these verses from chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 14. For as much then the children... As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, meaning that this man, Jesus, he took part of flesh and blood, just like we uh, are made of flesh and blood, that, as the writer continues, through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wow, that's significant. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that time he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. This is the ministry of our high priest. The one who uh, prevailed over sin and death is the one who walks with us in the midst of our seasons of suffering and sin and death. He is one who is not uh, sort of, he doesn't turn a blind eye to what we are going through, but neither does he blink when we confess those things. And that's why we can have confidence. We can have confidence, as it says back in Hebrews 4, 16. Let us come boldly. That, that means with, without sort of this concealment over our speech, without this sort of fear driving the things that we say. We don't have to put up these masks and charades of strength in front of this great high priest. He knows everything. He knows our weaknesses. He's familiar with our infirmities. And he's ready. And more than just ready, he's willing and he's, he's eager to tender grace to us in our weakness. His throne is a throne of grace and mercy precisely for those who are in need. And there's never a moment when we are in need. We can pour out our heart to this great high priest because of who he is. He is Jesus, the Son of God, the one who made atonement for our sins, the one who entered into the veil on our behalf and shed his blood so that you and I would, might declare for all time, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. All the more gladly, therefore, will I boast in my infirmities, in my weaknesses, Paul declares. That's our prayer, too. I, I've, I am so just struck by these verses 
and the truths that they present to us, truths that are so significant to we who are struggling, who are hurting, who are enduring seasons of grief, of heartache, of hardship, of, 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 of trouble. Um, we don't have to put up charades of strength in front of this God. He wants us to come with our weaknesses in hand, readily and freely willing to admit that, yes, we are weak and needy and desperate, but he is precisely the savior of the desperate, the one who speaks and tenders mercy precisely for those who are in need. Um, I hope that you will listen to that sermon. It's entitled The Man of Sorrows, and I am so appreciative of the fact that I was able to deliver that sermon, and thank you so much for many of the kind uh, remarks that um, I, I've received in the intervening days since then of, of what that sermon was able to do. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that uh, encourages his, the Word in each of our hearts and souls and minds, so may you be blessed and encouraged uh, by that. Um, and Sunday evening, uh, I continued in my series going through Peter's letters, and I was in First Peter chapter 5, and I wanted to, I, I didn't necessarily intend at the outset to break up chapter 5 into two different sermons, but I'm going to do that. Um, this coming Sunday, I am going to be preaching on the latter half of First Peter 5, but this time I was, uh, but I was just struck by the, uh, the subject of service that Paul or excuse me, Paul, that, that Peter gives here in the first six verses of First Peter 5. He's talking about the church. Precisely, he's speaking to elders. As he says here, the elders which are among you, I exhort. He's charging them with taking all the things that he's been referencing the whole time throughout this letter. I want you now, elders, I'm, I'm charging, I'm exhorting you to take hold of these truths and manage them, shepherd them for the flock of God. As he says in verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you. And then he, he continues in verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of, a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So he's writing to these elders, these elders who are there for under-shepherds of, as he says, the chief shepherd. How do you shepherd the truth? Well, we noted several things, but the one that really stood out to me in this passage is when he uses this very illustrative sort of picture in verse 5 where he says, he says this, Yea, all of you be subject one to another. There's that word subject, which he referenced, or not just reference, he, uh, it's, it's, this particular reference is an allusion back to uh, those topics of submission and subjection that he talked about in chapters 2 and 3. And now he, he's sort of summarizing his entire point now. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. That picture of of clothing yourself with humility is one that really should stand out to us. It should make our ears sort of perk up, as it did mine, for a couple of different reasons. One of them is kind of silly. Um, so uh, me and my wife, Natalie, we've been watching this show lately called uh, Downton Abbey. Uh, some of my listeners perhaps are like, you're just now watching Downton Abbey? Well, yes, I'm just now watching Downton Abbey, that British sort of highbrow 
drama that appeared on PBS, I think it was, um, in 2010 till about 2016. It has like six seasons. Um, we've been watching a lot of it lately just as a form of sort of, you know, kind of decompression uh, at the end of each day. And uh, it's been really interesting because we're learning all this new language. But as I was studying for this sermon, you know, I have all these pictures in my mind's eye of what it means to be a house servant, what it means to be a housemaid uh, since I've watched the show, which is predominantly about this 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 Earl of, of Downton who has this huge house who has a bunch of servants and it's just drama that's in this house. Um, um, but I say all that because really what Peter's talking about here when he says clothe yourselves with humility is actually what they reference in the show. So in the show there's these footmen who are there to sort of do a lot of what the butler's bidding is as they go around the house, but they are also there to uh, help with the service of dinner and such. And they have these uniforms, which are called liveries. Now, I'd never heard of that term before. I looked it up, and that's exactly what it means. It's it's a uniform that precisely those who serve in a house, like a, like a footman, like a butler, like a housemaid, that's what their uniform is called. It's called a livery. And in the show, they often talk, reference that term, put on your livery uh, to prepare yourself for service or what have you. And uh, it's so funny because it's funny, but it's 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 also, I think, a good picture because that's exactly what Peter's talking about here. When he says put on humility, clothe yourself with it, that's what he's talking about. He's, he's referring to the livery of a servant, of a housemaid, one who uh, is, is there to be in service, to wait upon another. And that's what he's calling the church to. You notice that? He says, all of you be subject to one another and clothe yourselves with humility. Put on your livery, put on your robe of service, because this is what it means to exemplify the grace of God in which you stand, which he's going to get to. But also another, another passage I couldn't help, help but think about was precisely the scene that I think was most clearly in Paul's mind. I'm, I'm turning, to, turning to it. It comes from John chapter 13. Of course, you might know what passage this is. This is the passage when Jesus, the night before he was crucified, uh, takes, as it, well, let me read the verses. So they've just eaten the Passover supper, and it says, Jesus riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. That's, I think, what's in his mind's eye. That scene of Jesus laying aside his garments and taking up a towel, putting on literally and in every single way imaginable, putting on the, the livery of service, putting on those servants' robes and washing his disciples' feet as Jesus himself embodies the ultimate sacrifice. He embodies ultimate service. As Jesus there there in that room exemplifies precisely what he elsewhere declared in Mark 10.45, that he hadn't come to be served, but to serve. And here he's showing precisely what that looks like. It's this deferential love, this self-deprecating service, this this absolute self-disregard in service of another, of another, in love of another, in for the other's good. This is what Jesus is here showing and what Jesus is here embodying. And this is likewise what the church is 
is called to uh, show forth in their service for others. I, I was really moved by by that. I was really touched by that picture. Yeah, it came from Downton Abbey. <laughs> but I think there's something to that. We're not often given to putting on robes of service. And I think it's indicative, uh, or it, it's very suggestive, the fact that Peter has to say, clothe yourselves. It doesn't come naturally to us to be in that type of mode of humble service. But there's no, there's, there's no better picture. There's no better way in which we show, and I would also say so, the grace of God in the world than by humbling serve, humbly serving those who are around us. Serving our neighbors, serving our friends, serving our family, serving those that perhaps we don't like. <laughs> this is what we are called to as the flock of God. This is how we best shepherd the truth. I pray that that sermon is a benefit to you. Uh, that gives you a little bit of insight of where my mind was <laughs> as I was studying this sermon. But that really struck me, clothing yourselves with humility. And that's obviously not always easy to do. But I pray that you will be encouraged and blessed by that sermon. And may the Spirit add his blessing to your listening to it. Before we move on to the rest of the show, I just want to take a quick word and share some words from this podcast presenting sponsor. Of course, the Ministry Minded Podcast is brought to you by Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania, and they are committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do that by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process, completely free of GMOs and other harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted soon after moving to central Pennsylvania in 2019, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's the best coffee out there, and I say that after having lots and lots of coffee. So uh, make sure you take advantage of the link in the notes for this show, and also take advantage of my coupon code, GRACE10. If you use that code when you're checking out at Fresh Roasted, uh, you'll get a discount on your first order. So uh, when you're stocking up on your next caffeine supply, make it Fresh Roasted Coffee. Now on to the rest of what I want to talk about on today's show. Uh, so in uh, what am I reading? Well, <laughs> I have already broken my New Year's resolution, which was I'm not going to read anything until I've finished what I'm already reading. And, you know, of course, that's kind of gone by the wayside <laughs> and that's OK. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm and, uh, there's no turning back now. So uh, I'm reading a couple of books that I'm really excited about getting into a series on hopefully later this year. So as I already mentioned earlier, I'm hopefully diving into a series on first and second kings uh, in the next in, in the in the next few weeks. Uh, after that, I already know that I want to get into another series, but I'm wanting to read several books first uh, prior to this, which is uh, sort of a series on biblical theology. Um, biblical theology is just, you know, a really scholastic term for the story of the Bible, understanding that the Bible is a 
complete and entire narrative, and it is a story. It's not just a collection of random books that are pasted together that have no uh, sort of uh, connective tissue to them. They are books that are intricately and intimately tied together precisely by the blood of Christ, and that's really what biblical theology endeavors to study, to endeavors to uh, bring to the fore, uh, is that story, that narrative, the narrative of redemption. And there's several books on this. I have a stack of books on my desk right now, actually, that I've been collecting. And I realized this actually recently that I had, uh, let's say, half a dozen or so books that all deal with sort of the same topic, which is just this, the, the, you know, the, the drama of the Bible is the unfolding mystery of Christ. That's a good way to say it, but it's also sort of an amalgamation of all of these books' titles into one. Um, so I, I want to do a, a sermon series on that. And in that, in that sort of mode, I've been reading a couple of books that are, I would classify, biblical theology books. The first one is called The Whole Story of the Bible in 16 Verses, which is, um, let me just let me just grab it here. It's, it's a really short book, but I've really found a lot of benefit in it. It's only 130 pages, um, so it's super concise. It's very readable. Um, I'm only a couple chapters into it, but I already know that it is readable. It's very beneficial. I'm probably going to use this as the basis of my sermon series as I'm hoping to dive into this study and and help the church, the flock of God, uh, my church, grasp the story of the Bible. Uh, and this he does in a very sort of inductive way, in a way that's very readable, that overviews these very specific points in the story, so to speak. And that's what I want to want to do. So uh, Chris Bruno's The Whole Story of the Bible in 16 Verses has been really helpful in that regard. Um, I'm also reading a book called They Spoke of Me, how Jesus Unlocks the Old Testament by Brandon Smith and Everett Berry. So Brandon Smith um, and Everett Berry, uh, I believe they're both fellows at the Center for Baptist Renewal. Um, so they do a lot of writing there. But um, Brandon Smith especially has really helped me and influenced me in a lot of ways. Um, but especially in this in this sort of introduction of biblical theology. Um, and in this book, he kind of takes that that scene on the Emmaus Road where Jesus is talking to the disciples that are on their uh, uh, on their way to Emmaus and you know after his resurrection and they are unsure of 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 what's going on and and that's where Jesus says all of the bible points to me <laughs> let me actually just read that 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 passage it comes from Luke chapter 24 and which i just love um let me see here it says um we thought it was him uh, then he, then he said unto them, this is Luke 24, verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And this is the the wonderful incidents where I think which drives the rest of the New Testament, but it ought to drive how we read the Bibles, uh, how we read our Bibles, which is precisely that all of it points to Jesus. He's the point. He's the narrative. He's the one that ought to get all the attention. And there's no one else that ought to distract us 
from that subject, from that topic. He's the one that we are striving, uh, that we ought to be striving to see. And that's really what biblical theology uh, helps us with. It helps uh, in this study to show how each of these different narratives that make up the narratives of Scripture is driving us to the point, and the point is Jesus. He's the point of it all. And I think this is really important. Um, And now more than ever before, I am so burdened by the fact that Christians, I feel like, are not reading their Bibles. The Bible that they get is either through social media posts or what they get on Sundays, which is very insufficient. That's an insufficient amount of Bible to get. And I'm speaking to myself. Uh, even as a pastor, I can tell you that that I, I know that my scriptural diet isn't what it should be. It, it should be much, much, much better, much, much more full and rich of, of healthy scriptural study. And, and, it, it, which leads me into what has been most helpful to me. So I've been studying First Peter. I've been reading through Alexander McLaren's Expositions of Scripture. So in his exposition of First Peter, he has this wonderful passage, which I think is perfect in terms of uh, what I've been thinking about lately, which is, which is uh, the the church's sort of lack of of scriptural knowledge, but also this sort of importance of the importance of reading our Bibles and and what that will do for us and for our faith. And he has this wonderful passage which speaks directly to it, and I want to read it to you. I want to read it to you now. So this comes from his exposition of 1 Peter 5. Uh, Alexander McLaren writes, quote, I am very much afraid that people do not read their Bibles very much now, or if they do read them, they, they do not study them and that anything like an intelligent familiarity with the whole sweep of the great system, for it is a system of divine truth, evolved at sundry times and in diverse manners in this word, is a very rare thing amongst even good people. They listen to sermons with more or less attention. They read newspapers, no doubt. They read good little books and magazines and the like, and volumes that profess to be drawn from Scripture. These are all right and good in their place, But sure I am that a robust and firm grasp of the gospel, which is the grace of God, is not possible with a starvation diet of scripture. And so, I would say, try to get hold of the depth and width of meaning in the word. I love that passage. <laughs> He's talking about all these different things that we spend our, our our time and busy ourselves reading. And then what does he say? That these are all good in their place, but that doesn't really do much for us if we are not firmly grasping and, and, and partaking and dieting on the scriptures. <laughs> dieting in a robust way. Dieting in a way in which we are gorging ourselves on the scriptures. It reminds me of that oft-repeated quote from Charles Spurgeon, visit many good books but live in the Bible. And I think that's precisely what McLaren is getting at here. I think <laughs> I think Alexander McLaren and many others perhaps would be rolling in their graves right now if they knew how little the church cared about the Bible. They care so little that, as I mentioned, that we are often encouraged by some pastors to unhitch <laughs> the Old Testament from the New because it's it's not important anymore it's not relevant live in the bible develop that that firm grasp of the scriptures don't do you have a starvation diet of scripture i would tell you that i i i think i do 
I think in many ways I do. I, I study the scriptures for my sermons, in, for the things that I'm trying to develop in the church. But am I studying it for myself? Am I studying it for my, soul, my own soul's benefit? Am I, am I letting myself uh, steep in the scriptures? Am I gorging on them or am I dieting them? I, I, I think that that is one of the most profound needs in the church today. Is a, I keep using the word, but <laughs> gorging on the scriptures. I think that would prevent us from becoming so frantic about the things of our world, about the future days, because then we would be reminded, we would be still and know that God is God, that all things are ordered according to his hands. That's what the scripture is showing us. That's what it's telling us. That's what it's driving us to, that there's a king who is above all and who is still on his throne, ruling and reigning for our good. I think in all this, I just mean to say that I, I feel a strong need to soak up the Word of God, and not what other people say about the Word of God. I've been reading Alexander McLaren's expositions, which are fine and good. You can read your commentaries, you can read your Christian living books. Those are all fine and good and beneficial, and I, among any, would say that that is a really good thing to do. I love to read, but when was the last time you just took up the Bible and read it for what it is? A book which tells us about the King, who is the Savior, whose name is Jesus. I, I've, I've been burdened by that, that the book, that the Bible is a book which tells the story of Jesus, who saves sinners from their sins, who has come to redeem the world from its darkness, because he is the light. I've been really helped by that, <laughs> as you can perhaps tell, uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for not just that passage of scripture, but for the conviction that I felt to read the word. And so that's one thing that I've been, I want to do is to just get better at reading the Bible for the Bible's sake <laughs> and not because I need to study it for a sermon. Um, and that's very uh, deceptive, I think, that we can we can do that. Just reading the Bible for what we're perhaps studying at that per current moment or what have you, but read it, read it for what it is, the drama of redemption, the unfolding of the mystery of grace. Uh, I hope that you'll be benefited by that. What should you remember? Well, really quickly before we close the show, you should remember to listen to and to buy the new album by Young Oceans, uh, You Are Fullness, which I've linked to the show. Uh, I love Young Oceans. I love these sort of like, uh, they, they're, they're sort of la lacking in perhaps melody that you can go home and sing, but they are so rich and full of just meditative and creative uh, and, and rich theology. Uh, so these are songs that come from the mind of Eric Marshall, who is a musician and composer. And uh, they're just really, really profound songs that put you in a good, I would say, I had to use this word, this good atmosphere for study, for reflection, for meditation. And so uh, go go check that album out. Uh, I love Young Oceans. I've been listening to them for a while. Um, I have all of their records 
and I, I, I this one is one of their is one of his better ones I would say um, there's a couple others that are definitely worth purchasing and this one I would say definitely is you are fullness go check that out I really like uh, the way uh, he writes songs and the way he um, uh, in, 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 in envelops you into sort of his sort of world of, of creativity, but also theology and spirituality. So, uh, check that out. Uh, Young Ocean's new album, You Are Fullness. So, uh, thanks so much for listening. I hope that you have benefited by this episode. It is always, uh, an encouragement for me to be able to think out loud about these certain things. So I hope that you have found that, uh, as enriching and as encouraging too. Uh, thanks so much for all your encouragement, for your support. Uh, go subscribe to this podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. And just thank you so much for all the uh, all the listens and the comments and uh, all the support that you've given me over the last several months and, and, and weeks. And so thank you so much. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.